Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 219 on Tuesday, the 13th of November, 2018. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, where Alan is at home and I'm the one coming from a hotel, we'll be talking about Germany's existential diesel crisis. We'll also be discussing how to avoid being penalised on a smart motorway. And we'll talk about the best 17-year-old Volvos that are out there. But first, our old favourite... Christian Hertzner put on Twitter yesterday that Audi has been given the first clearance to start the the first of their eight mandatory recalls for the V6 and V8 diesel engines, which is going to affect something in the region of 151,000 vehicles. What it'll mean is that they'll need new engine gearbox softwares and some some will also require their nitrogen oxide lambda sensor whatever that is uh will need to be replaced but that's not the only the only stuff if you remember the german government was trying to get the big three german manufacturers to take the brunt of any retro fitting of older diesels to make them cleaner rather than put the onus on the consumer volkswagen and daimler have agreed to spend up to 3000 euros to do this uh bmw has not but they have joined the other two in offering up to three thousand euros in incentives to buy new ones yeah german uh, bmw stance is well it would be better if they've just bought a newer vehicle because they're cleaner anyway rather than retrofit an old one thank you very much there's an argument to that as well then you don't have the problems that uh that volkswagen have had yes has had possibly yes. allegedly had we'll, um, we'll continue to have we'll continue to have <laughs> pick a tense any tense <laughs> about uh about whether or not cars are less efficient noisier more prone to breakage uh post uh post modification yeah uh last little bit of dieselgate though is part of the uh, plea agreement in the u.s was that volkswagen had to appoint an independent compliance auditor now, uh, a chap called Larry Thompson is that person, and he said that there is still a lot of work to do before the company's compliance procedures can be certified, which uh, does not surprise me, particularly when the CEO made a statement of, we, are, we have put Dieselgate behind us. And I thought that that was particularly poorly thought through. I, I disagree with you. It doesn't surprise me, but for a completely different reason. Okay. Uh, it doesn't surprise me because you're trying to move a workforce of tens of thousands of people uh, and shift hearts and minds uh, to actually adopt and, and, and to work in this, in this new manner uh, rather than in the way that they've always been working before. And that takes time you cannot just say right tomorrow we're doing something completely different um yep, it's completely so agree. Ch- change of culture is very very so difficult it, it takes time yes, it's a huge culture change a huge transformation within the organization and that takes time i think we were actually agreeing because we can see the demonstration of that by the way that the ceo comes out with a statement of oh we've put it behind us hmm. a very poor choice of words yes even if he didn't you know i am trying to give the benefit of the doubt that he didn't mean oh well that's no that does that doesn't matter anymore <laughs> ignore that i'm presuming that's not what he meant however 
someone of that position should have thought through it could be meant that way it could also be meant we you know we are past that we're 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 over the summit of it and and um you know the organization is changing from here on to a a post dieselgate volkswagen yeah or something but when they make statements along the lines of this is the number of evs we're going to sell etc etc that's sort of what got them in the fix in the first place a little bit i know i know they have to put targets out there and they have to show that they are they are trying to embrace the alternative forms of fuel mm-hmm. in this case Volkswagen have gone big style for batteries uh, literally yes. so i understand all these things but it just it just smacks still of they're not quite thinking Thinking everything through and putting it away in a slightly, putting it across in a slightly different way. I but think that there's probably translation issues there as well. I would imagine so. Yes, yes. I would imagine so. And if Volkswagen would like to know, we are still available for consultancy uh, to help them through their <laughs> troubles sometimes. Don't say that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you about that some other time. Yes. But uh, that is the end of the majority of the. Dieselgate, directly Dieselgate. <laughs> is that the best stuff. you can come up with as far as promises? There's more diesel stuff to come, but that's that's directly Volkswagen stuff. Yeah. But first... In this week's uh, report, stating the bleeding obvious. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, literally reading the headline here from, from the BBC News page, the government-subsidised plug-in cars may never have been charged. Which, to those of us who have met company car users who have ended up with plug-in hybrid vehicles and have spent 25 minutes to half an hour explaining what a great tax dodge it is to get a vehicle that's quicker than the that's quicker than the diesel and yet is a tiny benefit in kind but no no I'm not bothered about charging it I'll never take that I'll never unwrap the charging cable funnily enough many many people have been doing that saying here that 70% of the 37,000 plug-in hybrids sold so far in 2018 uh, have gone to fleets, uh, and there is a high chance that that basically people are driving around, that they're lugging batteries around for no particular reason other than other than low benefit in kind on their company car tax. Yeah, didn't you? Weren't, didn't you say to me that uh, the Netherlands, when they removed their plug-in grant, when we were discussing this the other week, I don't believe it was me. No, the Netherlands removed theirs because they checked the fuel card data and they realized virtually no one over there was plugging in so they just went right we stopped that and then the the fev market tank fell through the floor yeah (laughs) i I don't think it was me that said that but i've i've heard that before the the problem here really as toby poston the communications director of the bvrla which is a british vehicle rental and leasing association is saying that uh, we got into a we have got a situation where a poorly designed tax regime is driving some poor behaviours. And it's doing it with plug-ins. It did it with straight-up hybrids beforehand. I mean, I used to constantly be getting overtaken at ridiculous speeds by by people driving sort of Mark II, Mark III Prius uh, because that's what they had to have because they'd been told they had to have a hybrid. But pff, any any sort of... God for sake, they have to change their behaviour in any way, shape or form. 
yeah. to try and actually actually take advantage of those vehicles for the reasons that, that, that they should have had them. So, uh, yeah. Mm. But this has prompted some navel-gazing in the automotive press about what does this mean for the future of FEV in, in this country. Uh, I saw a tweet from Nick Gibbs talking about an Autoco article auto car article even if i could articulate that will be both will be in the show notes but he was asked he made the point that the fev market will be dependent on whether the uk uh, counts towards fleet average co2 levels after we leave the eu if if that's not the case then he can't see that there's there's going to be any incentive for car firms to push the costly margin negligible plug-in hybrids on us mm-hmm well, we'll see what happens. Let alone whatever tariff may mean to that. Yeah, but uh, but the autocar article is quite interesting mm-hmm. because the industry come back and say, well, the government has been a bit, has overreacted a little bit there and thinks they have taken the Netherlands report, which was the one I was talking about before with mm-hmm. you, taken that as, oh, well, that must be happening here. So let's stop that. Yeah, Have, have a read through those because it's... Could could well could well not see any more fevs really. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay, though, which is a bit of a shame, really. But there we go. Continuing the theme of everything being upside down and the wrong way round, I'm going to talk about Paris. I know. <laughs> Diesel vehicles registered before 2001 are no longer going to be permitted to drive within 79 communes. Is that like um, a, a District. Yes, yes, it is. Oh, it's right. um, yeah, in the Greater Paris area from next July. This is true. Uh, so that's not the seventy-nine communes. Obviously, if you're vaguely familiar with Paris, uh, you'll know that that isn't that can't possibly be the area inside the periphery. This is actually the area inside the A eighty six, which is the sort of next road round. So if Paris is, if you imagine it a bit like a fried egg, then the area inside the periphery is like the yolk, and then there's all the area inside the A86, which is right out. It's not proper Paris, according to Parisians. Uh, further out, it's true, it's not really a joke, is is in there. So once you get out into the sort of 90 postcodes, not the 70s. So it's actually quite a big area. It's like the equivalent of... It's the French equivalent of inside the M25 as opposed to inside the north and south circular roads, essentially. Okay, so it's a similar sort of tactic to transport for, or Sadiq Khan is going to do, Mm. but it's a bigger area. It's probably about the same size of area. It's just outside Paris because London is so much bigger than Paris. But again, it covers, it's not just the sort of central Paris, people have no real need to own a car type area it's the much wider area where people do use them for shopping commuting etc etc and so there are more older cars okay well we're talking of bands you remember that stuttgart were appealing a band that they lost a case for thanks to the uh, environmental group that i can't remember their initials brought against the the Mm -hmm. government of um, stuttgart that they needed to ban older uh, diesels from from the city for air quality reasons. Yeah, uh, they've lost that appeal. Stuttgart have lost that appeal, so they they will in 2019 they will be bringing in the ban on older Euro five diesels. Mm-hmm. But this is on the back of furthermore backs of. There's lots of backs here this week. Uh, Cologne and Bonn have been told they must introduce 
limited bands. I think they're so limited it's like two streets. Uh, it was in, in Cologne, yeah, I remember. It was like it was two streets, so we're just a bit too far out of the town for me to go and investigate at times I was there. The governments of those are appealing that, but I would imagine they'll lose that as well. Mm-hmm. So there we go. So that's I think that covers all banning of diesels and dirty air. And so we, I think we, we think we're done with that this week now. Oh, and breathe, quite literally. <laughs> Cleanly <laughs> and without smoke. Yes. <laughs> But more bans coming up. Motorists are being warned that they'll face heavy fines and even bans for not adhering to the signage on smart motorways. Yes, this is uh, quite a sensationalised headlined article from the RAC because when you read it, it's sort of saying if you don't obey the laws of the road, then you will get penalty points fines and could that could result in a ban yeah it, it is it's not it's not specific to smart motorways although they are using it, it is hugely yes clickbaity hugely but clickbait. the point is what sorry i think that why i i thought this was an interesting article but the point is that for as much as there are lots of comments on twitter in particular about smart motorways and people how people drive on them hmm. ignoring potential safety issues there was a motorist was given three penalty points, a fine of over a thousand pound, and a six month driving ban for ignoring the lane closure in the West Midlands. Why? Uh, yeah, as they should have done. Exactly. Quite frankly, yes. Because I actually find that really confusing. I, I, uh, I am probably. Am I part of the problem? I don't know if I'm part of the problem or not. I try and avoid driving in the hard shoulder lane on smart motorways because you are part of the problem then. But, I mean, not because I just don't like it. I just don't find it comfortable. I, I just, well, you know, it's, it's a, it takes, a, it's taking a mental shift for those of us who've driven for years where the hard shoulder was the hard shoulder mm-hmm. and you don't go anywhere near it unless there's an issue. Yes. And now we're being asked to ignore that and go on the hard shoulder. I mean, today, driving on the motorway, if if people could use... I don't know lane, th- I mean, uh, lane two as opposed to lane three and four when there's nothing inside them. That would be a miracle. Well, I agree with that, and I do use you know obviously I, I use the appropriate lanes, and I don't just sit over on the right, and I certainly don't I know, sit in the I middle. Know. But but I just find that one, especially where it's really busy, and it kind of depends where the motorways go through because sometimes yes. you find the smart motorways go past an area, and there's more likelihood of vehicles being stopped. I. I have to really push myself to go on the inside lane if it's a built-up area. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. But if it's open, if it's a more open uh, rural area, oh, I happily. don't seem to have a problem. But when it's when it's built up, I, I don't know whether that's because I'm thinking, oh, well, that's a dirty great wall, but also I may be thinking... Uh, there's going to be a there's going to be a slip road in a minute. Yeah, you're, you're leaving. Oh, space I'm going to have to move over in a minute anyway, type thing, which is which is lazy. But it, there is a de- I I really find it in the in the urban areas. I have to I have to make the conscious effort. Yes. Yeah. yeah I know. Across. I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. So basically, this this clickbaity article is saying understand what you're supposed to do on a smart motorway and do it. Otherwise, you know what you're breaking the law. Amazing. Shall we move on? Yes. <laughs> uh, the 
Law Commission has launched the first in what is going to be a series of public consultations about reforms to the law, funnily enough, with regarding uh, regarding self-driving vehicles or cars. In this instance, it's going to be about specifically about passenger vehicles. Mm-hmm. So that covers private ownership as well as the mobility servicey type stuff. Yes, it, it never calls it ride sharing. Yeah, so we still don't really know what that means, but sort of a taxi, I think, is what we're it's, all going to come to the conclusion. It's a journey supplied by a licensed operator. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's what it's called, page 44 of the, the, yes. Yes. There is a Motor and Research article which breaks down the idea behind this, but there will, in the show notes, but there will also be a link straight to the consultation, which I strongly recommend if you are remotely interested in autonomous vehicles you read through because it's actually very well written mm-hmm. it's in plain english it's been written in an interesting way and they give very good examples for specific elements they are trying to explain or getting us to think about and comment on yeah as ever with any of these consultations if we don't read it and comment no one can complain whatever results come out of it yeah and as you go through there are specific questions that they have they present it it, it's a bit like an exercise book so there's a chapter or there's a there's a series there's there's a whole bunch of stuff here so i'm i'm scrolling through chapter two at the minute which is about well it's really introducing the key concepts it's not so bad Uh, it's once it gets on to sort of chapter three chapter four and onwards that it that you then get you know there's a section on human factors, uh, and then there's a section where they would like your your thoughts on specifically around that that area. So, for example, uh, they have a term "user in charge." So, a user in charge is the person who is in charge of the vehicle when the, the vehicle is intended to be the person in charge of the vehicle when the vehicle is operating, not driving. The software at that point may be driving. As a user in charge, so so consultation question two, we seek views on whether the label "user in charge" conveys its intended meaning, and it goes into more use. Um, you know, this is instead of labels like "lead user," "responsible user," or "driving able user," which is horrible. That's a terrible one. So th- it's that kind of thing. They are saying, you know, do these terms make sense? Do you do you feel that? Uh, how do you feel about users in charge? All these kind of things. Really, it's actually fantastically interesting. I wanted to make fun of Andrew for this uh, and actually found that I was the one being all enthusiastic about what was written in it because I've had a bit more time to flick through it today, but I can't pretend I've read the whole thing. <laughs> no, what, 200-odd pages? 243, I think it is. I just yes. saw a bit there called... I just saw a subchapter there called uh, called Interfering with interfering with or, or autonomous vehicles which sounded um oh that's a strange. new set of niche websites that, that is yeah springing up <laughs> yes oh no there's a whole subsection on the trolley problem oh goodness uh, that isn't a problem uh, anyway anyway well i haven't read what it says i'm sure it goes through yes. to discuss it uh, it's it's really very interesting i didn't know there was a vienna convention for road traffic which was signed in 1968 yeah, I didn't either. No, there we go. 234 pages. PDF. Okay. But interesting stuff. If you are interested in that, it's probably a many lunchtime read. Yes. 
That's about halfway-ish. Is it? I wow. Think. Um, it's probably slightly under halfway for a change. But yes, it is Guilt Minute at that point in the show. I remind you um, to consider what motoring podcast is worth to you. If you feel it's worth a small amount of your hard-earned cash every month, then please do head to motoringpodcast.com, click the orange Become a Patron button on the front page, uh, and you can sign up and you can get things like being able to watch us record this live most of the time, depending on hotel bandwidth. Yes. If you're already a patron, then you're awesome. Thank you so very, very much. We know that not everyone can do that. So please don't forget to subscribe, like, uh, rate, and leave feedback via the podcast playing platform of your choice. If you've done all that, you're absolutely wonderful. Go steal someone else's phone, sign them up. That would be just genius. I think that's it. I think I even managed less than a minute. Gee whiz. Yeah, yeah we're, we're very tight and tidy this week, yeah. I think. That's because we've been replaced by aliens. We don't normally manage that. Mm. Uh, WRC. Yes. Just a quick reminder, it is the finale Ooh. this weekend. The decider for both the driver and the manufacturer's championships. Mm -hmm. There are three drivers still in technically in the hunt, although realistically it's Ogier and uh, Nivelle. Tanix. There's got to be some serious issues for Tanix to to get in there, unfortunately, although... You never know. Considering the start to the season, I think he's done amazingly well to get as close as he has. And of course, it's Australia, a, um, a a country well known for its hospitable and uh, hospitable and gentle terrain. So uh, yes, I don't imagine uh, that that'll throw up any surprises. No, I, I I imagine this will be one of the probably the dullest rally of the entire year, where nothing will go wrong, no mechanical issues, no rogue stones or hmm. jumps, bumps, ditches at all, kangaroos. Yep, so stay tuned for that. And if you can, watch the Red Bull coverage, which is always epic. Fab. Uh, But continuing TV news and motorsport, though, it has been announced this week. Oh, today, actually. Today. This is breaking. Well, it has broken. For us, it is. (laughs) Formula E is going to be on the BBC for the 2018-2019 season. So every race will be uh, live on the BBC. Now, this is on the back of last week, I think it was, that Formula E announced that there will be live streaming in the UK on YouTube, going to be headed up by some YouTube personality, mm-hmm. apparently well-known to younger people. YouTubists. Yes. But they didn't ring a bell for me, but then again, they wouldn't. So... Uh, <laughs> bitter old man. <laughs> <laughs> No, but, <laughs> but they wouldn't ring a bell to me. I think their their channels are aimed at people significantly younger than me, or more interested in supercars. Possibly, I am. I, I I haven't even looked into this to be honest. So. so Formula E are continuing to push ahead with trying to find different ways of creating or enhancing but, the but audience. Hang on a minute, which is good. You mean, but. What I think that's interest is interesting here is that the BBC are going to air not just live sport motorsport but motorsport again. Well, yeah, there is that, isn't there? It is, yeah. Well, you can read lots into it. Go, oh, it's the start of a motorsport resurgence. 
which I don't think is the case. But isn't it great the BBC's looking to looking to broadcast motorsport again? Fantastic. Yep, absolutely. absolutely. Talking of motorsport, though, Alan. Well, one last piece of motorsport. Last weekend, you might have noticed we were at the race, the race of remembrance at the Anglesey Circuit. Uh, on Saturday and Sunday, organised, of course, and, and um, for the benefit of uh, Mission Motorsport, who we talk about quite often, mm-hmm. but fantastic cause, uh, and of course, it took place over the uh, uh, well, it took place over the eleventh of the eleventh, uh, and um, Remembrance Sunday, and it was uh, it's a fantastic atmosphere because you've been last year, and I mm-hmm. I'd never been before. And yeah, what a brilliant atmosphere there was around the whole place, and and what a beautiful circuit. Angus yes, is. that was well more so on Sunday when it was sunny than on Saturday <laughs> when it was just soaking, moist, moist. Yes, no, it was it was incredibly moist. But yeah, thank you to everyone because we were we were there to be pit crew for Team Papani Cole. Part of the reason we were there, which was car number 92. Now, you probably haven't seen many photos of car number 92. That's because it, it, it didn't really manage to stay out very long. You know, we'd been we'd been practicing our pit stops on the Saturday morning. We'd, we'd worked out all our jobs, made sure we had all the kit. And um, the, the, the cylinder head gasket and the valves of cylinder three only made it as far as uh, as far as about two hours into the race, into the twelve. Just hours before of the, race. the first pit. Yes, just before the first pit fuel, and was absolutely kicking bottom. By the it way, it was. It looked superb. It looked superb. It was behaving superb. It was brilliant in the rain. All had high hopes, and then the the engine went off and lunched itself in quite spectacular fashion. Uh, it seems. Yes. I was seeing some of the. I, you you've been. I have been busy today as well, he says, knowing his boss <laughs> listens. Um, but, uh, but 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 I know that you haven't had a chance. You haven't been driving, is what you're saying. I haven't now. been driving, so I, I have had the ability to occasionally check Twitter today and, and see the the carnage, the, the 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 lumps of scrap that have come out from the inside of the engine. So I'm really hoping that that either gets repaired or probably replaced. Uh, and seeing what happens and, and rejoining. But to that end, I just want to say thanks to Justin, Rich and Mrs. Rich, Drew and Susanna, Charlie, Helen, Mike, Tom, Alex, Dave, and everyone else who knows me. Uh, but hopefully I didn't miss anyone there. Felt, felt... No, thank you so much. Thank you so much for making us feel welcome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, particularly me because I'm, I'm... It was amazing they let you back again, really. I mean, incompetent at everything. <laughs> yes. I mean, competent at almost everything. So uh, we found our we found my level, which was to hold a, <laughs> a fire extinguisher. I like the fact that I, I was I was allowed to use to, to to be in charge of in charge of the nut runner, and you were mm. allowed to hold hold the fire extinguisher. So, yes, no, that was that was brilliant. And of course, it was great to see folks we know from outside the team as well: uh, Jim, yeah. Ben, Chris, Alex, Ian. Lots of other people that you knew that I Ollie. didn't necessarily. Ollie, oh yeah, sorry. Yes, Autobahn, Ollie. Yeah, and and more. I've forgotten yes. loads of people. I'm really sorry. It's it's not that I'm it's not intentional. No. None of it There's is no favouritism here. It's yeah. just as we as I think we make clear it's incompetence more than favouritism. Yes, totally. <laughs> I was so upset that we didn't make the whole week that the car didn't make the whole race. 
I know. I was looking back on it. I was surprised a little bit at how upset I was, and I wasn't even driving. I'm still upset. We just kind of wandered in at the last minute. Yeah, I, I feel very bad for Justin. Yeah, me too, and you know everyone else because especially as it was like, I mean, if it, I looked like it was going to be rubbish, that would have been even worse. That that wouldn't have been so bad. But yeah, it was just ah. Oh. Uh-huh. Even now, it that is me. motorsport. I believe is how they put it. It is, it is, and it doesn't. But it doesn't make the uh, the human side any less, uh, any easier, really, does it? No. Um, so no, it you know, when you do that, you just imagine. You think, well, you know, you, people say that, that about about tempers flaring in F one, and of course we missed that because we were busy driving all the way back from Wales. Yes, but on fun roads this time. Yes, exactly. But you, I totally. But you understand. But once you've been involved in a, in a, even in a tiny, teeny way that we were, uh, in a team like, like that, when you're trying to achieve something, you imagine what it's like for the Formula One teams who've worked for years and years and years. They think they've got something just there, and something goes fucked. And you can, you see that look of disappointment in everyone. And maybe it was mm. worse because it was like the first time. Yeah, I just. Yes, crushing disappointment is crushing. He says. Um, he says uh, unsurprisingly. But um, no, it was massive and, understatement. I just want to say thanks to everyone for for letting us take part, and we would be delighted to do it again. Yes, if you'll have us. If, you'll have if, us. if we're not deemed the un, the yep. bad luck omens. <laughs> <laughs> but well done to Mission Motorsport as well. Most importantly, yeah, absolutely, because it was a superb event. Uh, the atmosphere was amazing. As I've said last year, I have never experienced a remembrance service like that, and I don't think I could anywhere else. Um, that is a very special atmosphere, and I am I am really God. Happy sounds a bit patronising, but it's it's wonderful to see the difference Mission Motorsport makes because you. you if you go to the race, you see the beneficiaries. Mm-hmm. You see, you see the families of the beneficiaries, and you see what a difference the work they they attempt and they strive to to make happen. What a difference it does make to the people themselves and their families. So that that's brilliant. Absolutely, yeah. How on earth Jim managed to 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 banish the clouds for 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 the service is, is quite beyond me. Well, I think Chris Ratcliffe's tweet had it. Yes, yes. He was standing there like some sort of Moses in North Wales. Or yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was absolutely cracking weekend. I, I hope everybody else enjoyed it as much as we did. Yep. Right, let's move on to let's, List of the Week. Let's resume our normal programming. Yes, before we get emotional. Mm. <laughs> well, me, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the, I'm the softy. Uh, <laughs> the List of the Week is coming from Car Magazine this time. And it is the what they have decided is the top 10 citron innovations so there is a cracking list of things that they have are there about 10 things in that list oh and it's by keith adams of course yes then yeah well yes yes quite there are 10 things (laughs) goodness what a surprise Uh, i think the real surprise is there's a gs we did citron season Uh, (laughs) parked up But the, this this is a wonderful list, and if you look at number ten, we actually saw one of those on Anglesey. Yep. So 
so this is uh, this is great list, and it didn't cause me to go to Auto Trader at all in any way, shape, or form. No, no, uh, no, no. Nor did James Ruppert's article for Autocar no, this week that had a picture of a speeding ZX on it. Mm. I saw one. I followed. Uh, I followed one on the way back from Anglesey. It was on a trailer, mind you, but it was still a ZX. <laughs> Well, you couldn't tell. You don't. Yeah, I don't think it was broken on the trailer. I just think it was being transported ranks. It looked really quite clean. Cool. So run th- run through this list. I mean, this is obviously a good list because because it has the Citroen Mahari in it. Yep. GS Byrota. Mm, yes. But it's but it's still got it's got modern. It's got it's got the modern. I mean the the XM the Zantia. You know the the C6. It's not that modern. They have been around for a long time. No, but it's. A lot of lists when they talk about Citroen, they just they stop at sort of seventy nine. Yeah, that's true. And, and look, and you know they they look backwards, uh, but this one doesn't, and that I think that's um, that's good. Yes. Anyway, anyway, there's you found a superb and finally. Well, uh, Jalopnik kind of presented me with a superb and finally, but it's one of those times when you look at it and go, "That is this week's and finally." Um. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, oh, what we have? Oh, I don't know. That's a bit lame. No, but this one was like, there are ones that come along with klaxons, bells, fireworks going off, saying, we know where this is going. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, So, what you have always wanted, people, is you have always wanted a Volvo S60, uh, four wheel drive, seam welded. Uh, full roll cage, harnesses, seats, the the lot, haven't you? What you've actually yes. always wanted is one of M Sports uh, fleet of S sixty recce cars. Yes, please. Uh, which my are S sixty got wrote off. Yes. yes, please. I'll have one. Which are which are all for sale at the minute uh, here in the UK. Uh, on I've now lost the linky because I scrubbed too far. Just to say, no, I was doing so well there. Oh yes, Rally Cars for Sale. Dot uh, net. Uh, then, then the fleet is up for sale there. Uh, M Sport Limited are pleased to offer for sale a number of our iconic Volvo S60 recce car fleet. Uh, these bulletproof, fully prepared cars have been run run on the WRC since 2001. The majority of the cars are seam welded with welding cages and Riga dampers. Comprehensive spare packages also available. Please contact us for further information. You know, they're white, you can add some stickers, but gee whiz, wouldn't that be a cool way to get about the place? Yes. Yes, very. Unfortunately, the price is to be confirmed, so I will step away. You never know, there are 17-year-old cars that have been thrashed around, but on the other hand, they're also um, they're also been prepped and maintained to the highest order, I'm sure. So, um, yeah, pretty awesome. That is a great list. Well done. Mm-hmm. Uh so, rounding up parish notes for the week. Gosh, we've been efficient. Yes. Well, after last week's flood of content for everyone, mm-hmm. don't forget there was two special editions out the back end of last week. So you can, if you haven't heard those, double check your podcast catchers of choice and just make sure that you click through. One's about 25 minutes. The other one's a little bit longer at about 40-odd minutes. Um, so they're not mega long episodes, don't worry. No. 
you can catch up on. Are you those. going to tell people what they are? The shorter one is a um, one about Mission Motorsport and what they do, mm-hmm. and the other one is a review of the Mazda Six Saloon. Yes, yeah, the two and a half liter auto. Mm. Don't forget if you haven't listened to the last review with Ali Tack, I caught up on it this morning, and it's really nice to hear. Uh, it's really nice to hear a guest on there. Uh, giving as good as they get, quite frankly, and it's an idea of someone else taking the rampant PO to about of Andrew uh, on a podcast, which is great. Really enjoyed it. Um, yes, excellent stuff. Because I knew absolutely nothing about Forza or anything like that. So, mm. so brilliant. There will be a new review view out this Friday. Yes, we've been doing much recordage. I have. Fab. Well, don't forget, everyone, that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Please don't forget about Patreon, available at motoringpodcast.com. And please, please, please leave a review and rating. I sounds a bit desperate there. A review and rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. It really does matter. If you do want advice on podcast apps, please, please get in touch with us. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you will see me there. And Alan, if people want to get in touch with you and possibly work out different ways to uh, extract the urine from me on a podcast, what are the best ways for them to do that? Oh, definitely via Twitter, uh, where I'm at AJP Bradley, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. We'll be back next week. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.